This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the Australian Open comes to a rowdy completion with Novak Djokovic and Naomi Osaka victorious. We take a look at a cracking this week in sports, and Nathan and I talk to NBL legend Alex Loughton in the first of our series of chats. We got there eventually. Let's go. Right, Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was the fake crowd noise in the game between Milwaukee and Toronto in the NBA. Okay. We've spoken about virtual crowds on multiple occasions on this show, but this one was one of the worst I've seen. Like it sounded a bit like the crowd noises you'd get on those old like the NBA Live '95 game. <laughs> yes, it was just this dull buzz for the entirety of the game, except for when the Bucks scored and it the cheering kind of went up for a couple of seconds and then it just went back to that dull buzz. So it was horrible. They didn't even turn it down when the Bucks went to the free throw line. That's how bad it was. Yeah, it's like some of the weird stuff in the AFL. Do you remember after that drawn match, like the, the crowd was cheering and stuff? And yeah. it was like, no one cheers no. after a draw. It's, you could hear crickets. It, was, yeah. it would be that silent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just that really caught my attention about how poor that was. So, I, I, yeah, not great. Mm. How about yourself, mate? Well, Stewie, the NBL Cup kicked off in spectacular fashion. The first game, Cairns and Illawarra was fantastic. And then the Wildcats handed Melbourne United their first loss of the season. Apologies to Jock Landau. So that was fantastic. No apologies. So so it started really well. And I look forward to continuing to watch that. But what really caught my attention this week, I was watching SportsCenter far too late again on a Sunday night. And Florida Atlantic University catcher and freshman, Caleb Pendleton, hit a grand slam on his first ever at-bat in a 12-run innings in a match against Central Florida. Now, grand slam, so that's hitting a home run when all three people are on base, four runs, there you go. Now, that's an impressive feat at any stage, let alone your first at-bat. The only thing that could possibly top it, the fact he did it again in the same innings. He hit two grand slams in his first ever two at-bats wow. in a 20-15 to 15 victory over Central Florida. What an achievement. He may never top it. Oh, probably <laughs> not. I mean, it's unlikely. But hey, he's certainly on the radar for the scouts now. So yeah, that's well, that's impressive. I mean, if he does it in the major leagues, I guess maybe. But... Has been done once in the majors, actually. Yeah. What, two, the first two at-bats? Uh, no, sorry. Not first two at-bats, but twice in one match. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, I don't have the guy's name, but uh, yeah. But that might come up into this week in support, mate. Dennis Baseball. <laughs> What'd you miss, mate? Well, in keeping my eyes on a lot of the NBA and the Australian Open finals, unfortunately for me, I missed actually a lot of the NBL Cup. I, I did see the Wildcats ruin Jock Landale's undefeated streak, <laughs> yeah. so that was really sweet. But uh, but no, unfortunately, I, I did miss a lot of that, and I'll be catching up on that pretty soon, I'd say. How about yourself? Well, I've missed the Wildcats game today because we're recording, but it is taped. It's on the fetch box ready to go, so I'm looking forward to watching that after we record. This is not a visual medium, so I'm trying to keep an incredibly straight face. Straight You're doing face well. You're because doing I, well. Because I have watched the game, I know the result. Yep, very good. And that's all I'm going to say. Very good. Thank you. Come on, you blokes. You know more than just sport. So no news roundup this week, Shuey, because Alex was very generous with his time and, and it, it was a great experience and, and hopefully everyone will enjoy it as much as we did. But well, yeah, we got a bit of a lighter side of the news in our non-sports segment with Just Not Cricket. And gee, there were plenty of candidates this week, and I might even hold some off for next time. But this week, well, it's a crazy altercation and an opportunistic seagull. <laughs> this, this week's Just Not Cricket comes from Lock End, Edinburgh, where a fight between two strangers ended up with a man having a three centimetre by two centimetre portion of his tongue no longer in his mouth and it will never be there again. 
Now, what happened was apparently there was a bit of a street attack between James McKenzie and Bethany Ryan. Now, it's said that James McKenzie approached Bethany Ryan with a clenched fist, which led her to approach him, kind of begin to lay a kiss on his face and proceed to bite off that aforementioned three by two centimetre portion of his tongue, which she then spat out onto the pavement and was swooped on by a seagull for him never to see that part of his tongue again. Now, my family is from that part of the world. We are from Scotland. Anyone who hasn't been to the UK and Scotland in particular, the seagulls there are freaking huge. <laughs> like they are the size of a, a mid-sized dog, basically. Like I've seen them, uh, I've actually seen them take smaller birds. What do you reckon would be preferable, a chip or a piece of tongue? What do you mean? As in to, to, for a seagull. <laughs> I was like, for me, obviously a chip. I mean, I'm, ox, ox uh. tongue is quite nice, but I don't know about uncooked human tongue. So we don't know the sentencing, Stewie, but to Bethany Ryan and James McKenzie, I say... Slip in the tongue. <laughs> it's just not cricket. So, Stewie, in the Australian Open, it's now all wrapped up, and I dare say the off-court stuff was just as interesting as the on-court stuff because the semis and the final weren't that exciting, were they? It oh. was kind of marred by... Weird crowds and all sorts of stuff, wasn't it? I, I dare say it was way more exciting than the on-court stuff. It was, yeah, it was rubbish. Mm. We were all excited last week about the build-up to the semi-finals. We'd had all these epic five-setters and amazing matches along the way, and then Karatsev, yeah, failed, and it just fizzed out. Yeah, it really did. I don't even really want to talk about the semis. They were that boring. Like Karatsev, as you say, yeah, he was never in the match against Djokovic. Sitsipas looked exhausted after his five-setter when he played Medvedev, wasn't mm. even close. I heard a really great quote from one of the commentators saying, imagine how Serena Williams must feel playing a younger version of herself as she got absolutely blasted off the court by mm. Naomi Osaka. Mm. Probably, that was a surprise, i got to say. Uh, I think the way that it happened yeah, was, yeah. yeah. The, the result isn't too surprising for me as such. I mean, I know I said last week that I, I thought Serena might be there, but just in watching the game, I mean, it... She, I honestly didn't quite realize how powerful Osaka is. But and if I'm not mistaken, she hasn't lost in a quarter semi or final at all in slams. Oh wow, I hadn't seen that. Maybe yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure. Like her record is impeccable. It would be. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I mean, the pick of the bunch was probably the Jennifer Brady over Carolina Mushova game. That that went down to the third set quite deep. The last game of the match went to six juices as well, which is you know quite exciting. Yeah, decent, yeah. Brady saved three break points as well. So you know that that was a little bit exciting for a very small period of time. But yeah, the finals were equally shit out. Osaka <laughs> absolutely steamrolled Brady. She won every single major statistical category. She faced break points in three games and she broke Brady four times. So it wasn't so much an annihilation, but she just did all the little things better. She won all the big points. More polished. Yeah, exactly. Just more composure, basically. Yeah, I saw a bit of the match. I didn't see the whole thing, but yeah. yeah. And and it was the same sort of deal in the Djokovic and Medvedev final. I mean, a little bit of a seesawing first set, but the second and third sets, yeah, absolute annihilation. 58% of second serves won compared to just 32 for Medvedev. Mm. So he was really using those kick serves. Yeah, Yeah, he just used those kick serves beautifully. And for me, I think the fact that he was able to generate 11 break points and converted seven compared to just two or four for Medvedev, you know, not many guys could get into Medvedev's serve for the entire tournament. And Djokovic, it just seemed like every time Medvedev missed that first serve, he was going after him. All with a torn uh, muscle string. Well, yeah, he's he's tripled down on it now. And yeah, he has. Said, and he says it's all going to come out in a doco. Apparently, they film behind the scenes. So. A, a Jocko. <laughs> ah, yes. a, a, apparently, he does have MRIs that show that it was a tear. I... 
I would like to see how severe a tear it is. It might just be a tiny little thing, but yeah, 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 I, yeah. I'm still, yeah. He certainly was the abdominal showman, wasn't he? Sure. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've sat on that one for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest issue for Medvedev in the entire match was just how reluctant he was to come into the net. So he would be playing these beautiful ground strokes and have Djokovic seven, eight feet off the side of the court. And most blokes would come in behind that play a little volley into the open court points over. But Medvedev was relying on doing that two or three times until Djokovic would make an error. And he just wasn't making them. He Mm. was an absolute brick wall. And unfortunately against Djokovic, you need those sort of cheap points, so to speak. And, he just never had them. So I think anyone else that, that could come in behind those guys that have those really good volleys. I mean, you look at someone like Roger Federer, amazing, amazing volleyer. Nadal's gotten a lot better over the years. So those are the sort of sort of reasons why those guys have had success against Djokovic because they're willing to come in behind those balls. So I think that'll be a, a big lesson for Medvedev. And I dare say he'll probably come back with a, a much better volley down the track. Now those crowds, Stewie. Well, first of all, it's the post-match stuff, isn't it? So first of all was the insult to injury when Osaka asked uh, <laughs> Jen if, if she preferred Jennifer or Jenny, and she she proceeded to say Jenny, and then she said, so it was great playing Jennifer or whatever it was. <laughs> she was mortified by that. Like she, uh, She's actually come out and said like she was absolutely... Uh, and I believe it too. She's very softly spoken and almost shy and mousy, isn't she? Well, the fact she, that so. she even asked. Most yeah. people would have well, just... Well, yeah, that's fair. That's most fair. people would have yeah. just said they would have picked whatever. one and gone yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So yep. the fact that she, yeah, so meekly turned around and was, oh, you know, what do you prefer? Yeah. But yeah, look, the, the crowds. I mean, I said it last week. I'll say it again. The Melbourne crowds that go along to these Australian Open finals are consistently the worst in the world for mm. tennis I, I apologize for tarnishing everyone with the same brush but like this this is horrible and and the thing is in previous years you could say it was foreign people that had come in and were, were being silly <laughs> yeah. you can't use that excuse this year <laughs> no, they're locals can't. this year yeah well so, they're normally locals anyway but well, yeah they, there's, they there's are, no but, benefit but of the doubt you can't exactly yeah, you, you yeah. can't even pretend yeah like just constant disruptions yelling out while players are getting ready to serve it's Honestly, like you had that that woman who had to be thrown out midpoint because of this massive rant. I will point out her shirt had end systemic racism on it on the back, and she was yelling out "free the refugees." So, right message, absolutely the wrong place. Well, that's why they do it, though, isn't it? For the attention. I yeah. mean, it's like those streakers with the advertisements painted on them. Yes, you know? it's a lot of attention. There's a lot of eyes watching. Very true. Yeah. But yeah, she's poor Tennis Australia chair, Jane, Jane Hardlichka. She was booed for mentioning the rollout of the coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, I've, I've both seen and heard this a number of times now. Without polling everyone in the crowd, it's hard to know what the intentions were. So first of all, a couple of voices can flood out a stadium and make it sound worse than what it is. There's the element that Novak is a known anti-vaxxer, so maybe they were booing him. Well, either that or they're just big fans of him and they've gone into the anti-vaxxer. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, Evidently, he was using the Pete Evans machine, I guess, to help with that tear as well. (laughs) Um, Maybe they hate Jetstar because she's the former... I think she was a former CEO of Jetstar. Maybe they hate the government. People hate any any mention of government in a speech is often going to attract a boo. I think she mentioned the Victorian government. So, yeah, did, the, yeah, the whole thing's really weird. And what's interesting, I actually saw the highlights on SportsCenter and they didn't mention it at all. It's as if it didn't happen. Ah, right. Now, I know there's a lot of this shit that goes on in the States and we've talked about the capital raids and all that sort of stuff. So, obviously, that was the intentional thing that they cut that out. Uh, but yeah, the whole thing's very bizarre. But yeah, if, if listening to it a few times, you wonder if it's just a very 
few voices. And I did hear cheering too. So it's like they were trying to maybe cover up the booing. I don't know. It's yeah, all it's weird. weird. It's very weird. I've read a sensational tweet from cricket reporter Daniel Rasool, actually. He said, booing the Victorian government, one of the few in the world that actually took the measures that made it possible for them to sit in the crowd to boo in the first place. Yes. Is next level self-awareness yes. fail. Yeah, I saw that too, actually. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's perfectly summed up. Yeah. And now, this week in sport history. February 26, 1981, a brawl just seconds into a game between the Minnesota North Stars and the Boston Bruins plays a huge part in an eventual 84 penalties and 406 penalty minutes for the match. This currently sits as second most penalties and penalty minutes in a game, trailing only the 419 minutes from a 2004 game between the Ottawa Senators and the Philadelphia Flyers and the 85 penalties from a 1990 game between the Edmonton Oilers and the LA Kings. The 67 first period penalties in this match, however, is still a record. A pretty ominous warning was given when Minnesota right winger skated by referee Gord Brosica and said, I hope you and Kevin went to the gym today, referring to fellow linesman Kevin Collins. Yeah, I saw the footage on that on YouTube and just seeing these two guys, they did an amazing job of pulling a lot of people apart, but actually this went into the... Oh, you need guts to be an NHL referee. You do, but yeah. this actually went down into the into the walkway down towards the, the change tunnel. rooms yeah, and, yeah, and right. the, the tunnel was just erupting into fight. So yeah, definitely worth checking out YouTube. February 27th, 1987, triple jumper Mike Conley sets a world indoor record jumping a massive 17.76 metres. Now, for those of you not in the know, this is indeed the father of Utah Jazz Point guard yes. Mike Conley Jr. Familiar name. And I actually saw a dunk contest from the 1980s where Conley Sr. took off and completed a dunk from a few inches behind oh, the free throw line. Oh, a good five inches behind the free Yeah, we watched At it on least. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And then there's been a couple of two-handers that he's thrown down. I showed you one where he was uh, about a, a foot inside the line. but I've seen Almost him, landed on his head. Yeah, and I've seen another one where he actually touched the, the, the line with the back of his heel and he's managed to hold on. So really impressive. For the record, the mark now stands at 18.29 metres by Britt Jonathan Edwards, but a really, really impressive effort. The funny thing is that his son, Mike Conley Jr., is more of a perimeter finesse player. Yeah, and he's, he's not a dunker. He did not get the athletic <laughs> genes at all. shorter to it. Yeah. March 1st, 1974, Australian cricketing brothers Ian and Greg Chappell record a 264-run partnership in a first test draw against New Zealand at Wellington. Ian made 145 and Greg 247 not out, as a part of a six declared 511. Ian would also make 121 and Greg 133 in the second innings, making them the only brothers to score centuries in each innings of the same test, a feat that I dare say will never be achieved again. The three-match series finished one all. March the 2nd, 1932, Australian golf trickshot artist Joe Kirkwood Sr. plays 18 holes at the Bel Air Country Club in Bel Air, Florida, not too far from Tampa. He shot 83 for the round. It's not too bad. Six pars and one birdie. It doesn't seem that amazing until you find out he played the entire round with just his putter. <laughs> now, I hit uh. a fairly mean ball off the tee with my putter. And I'm, if I get onto them, they're maybe 160 metres down the fairway. Oh, that's decent. But to hit them off the deck for the second shot is utterly, utterly ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. March 2nd, 1962, Philadelphia 76er centre Wilt Chamberlain scores 100 points in a 169-147 to win over the New York Knicks, the most ever by an NBA player in a single game. Chamberlain would go 36 of 63 from the field, the most shots taken and made in a single game. And although he was a career 51% free throw shooter, he actually shot 28 of 32 from the free throw line, which was 87%. It was a career year at the line for him where he shot 61%. 
impressive, isn't it? Now, some people dispute whether this actually happened and whether he did, in fact, score 100 points. Now, it did happen. The game happened. But some people think the scoring might have been a bit fudged. Mm. And there's interesting folklore about this because it wasn't played in a normal stadium. Yeah, and it was at Hershey. Yeah, yeah, it's a really... We will have to come back to this, I think. Mm, interesting. Uh, that is one of those records, though. It's... I mean, you saw what Kobe did against Toronto. Well, that's 19 80. less, 19 yeah. points less. That's yeah. basically an entire quarter yeah. less. So you probably yeah. need three or four overtimes and a guy going like that. So yeah, absolutely nuts. This week in sport history. Well, we're nothing short of delighted to speak to our first ever guest today. He's played basketball all around the world, starting collegiately at Old Dominion University in the States, starting all but four of his 124 games between 2002 and 2006. He then played for the Orlando Magic at the Summer League in the US in 2006, had a stint in Spain, and then played 311 games here for Perth and Cairns over 13 seasons in the NBL. Not only did he represent his country by playing for the Boomers, he's an entrepreneur, podcast host, and all-around nice guy. A very special sports blokes welcome to the great Alex Loughton. G'day, guys. G'day, Nate. G'day, Stuart. How you guys doing? How do I find you today? We're good, mate. We're good. How are you keeping? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a balmy 28 degrees here, as it is every day in Cairns. Uh, not a, not a uh, cloud in the sky uh, and just an awesome place to live. But, um, guys, it's been, I feel like it's been some time since we've, uh, since we've spoken since high school days. Oh, look, you know, 21, nearly 21 years ago now, it has been a while. I mean, we've crossed paths a few <laughs> times between now and Absolutely. then. But, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Let's let's start with how last season finished, if that's okay. How do you feel? And obviously, with the COVID scare and the final series being truncated and everything, do you think the NBL made the right decision about how that all unfolded? Oh, look, it's it's obviously disappointing when the when the two teams that earned the right to compete in the grand final weren't able to really battle it out under normal conditions. Um, so, I guess from that perspective. Having your, your your mindset that we've got five games to kind of make this thing happen, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's all this stuff that's up in the air, uh, and then it gets truncated down to uh, you know the the three games, and then by happenstance that the, the award just goes to the Wildcats because they were ahead at the time. I mean, it's it clocks up as a as a asterisk championship in my book, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I think I think Sydney probably have a have a right to be a bit disappointed about how that finished up. Uh, Perth are obviously going to be pretty excited just to add another add another ring to the the tally to take it to double digits but um i guess if you separate it out did the nbl do the right thing uh well it looked like that was the only uh way they could go they, they couldn't continue on uh the way that it was it was playing out and, and continued to, just to play against you know no fans there and all this sort of disruption and and also the health of the players i think was starting to really worry on uh, a lot of the, the the participants the players so i mean they, they took that precautious uh, approach uh I- interestingly only the away team won yeah, <laughs> so yeah. sydney in sydney then sydney beat perth in perth then perth turned around and beat sydney in sydney like it was it was a bit of a, a really weird grand final situation. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and, of, and of course, our uh, the outspoken Andrew Boger didn't waste any time in in condemning the league for the for their actions and things like that, and using his status to you know really blast the, the organisers. And and that's sort of been an underlying theme since then <laughs> <laughs> um, out on the socials. So I, I think it's a it's a really tough situation for a league. Like I mean, you look at the NBA with all the all the sponsorship money, all the you know everything in their favor as a business they're way ahead of you know where nbl would be of course so they could afford to set up a bubble 
uh, in Florida. They could afford to bring yeah. all the players in and still, you know, give them everything that they needed. Like the, the NBL's a lot smaller scale. They didn't really have that option just to go, well, we're going to cover everything here. Like there was a huge losses financially for them, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, I think we have to look at that with a bit of respect for what they might have to go through as a league to make that decision, to arrive at that point, to cancel the grand final. Um, I, I think in the end, I, I think it was the best course that, that they felt was, was there for the, for the league uh, and for the safety of the players, the health of the players. So uh, I, I do tip my hat to Larry and, and the league for how they've sort of handled everything uh, so far. Um, but yeah, in terms of the grand final, look, it's a rock and a hard place, but but maybe it was the right decision for them at the time. And it, it was, a, a, as you say, it was a very unusual final series for, for many reasons. I mean, Casper Ware being so horrible. MIA. Yeah, basically <laughs> MIA for the majority of the, the series. And I guess Sydney having to rely on performances from other players. I think Brad Newley had quite a, a decent series. Dita Lazada was was pretty decent in spots. Bogut, the whole matchup with Plumley was, was superb to watch, but... Yeah, it was it was a really weird one, and uh, yeah, it's interesting getting a different viewpoint. Obviously, with us being you know being from Perth and, and being Mad Wildcat supporters, we uh, we were very happy to take the tenth. But yeah, I can certainly see the other side of the fence on that one. Well, the this funny thing is, um, well, not the funny thing, but the way Sydney played their season, it was it was by committee. They were getting wins by committee by the whole contributions of everyone. They actually covered. Casper Ware's poor play during the whole season. Mm. So the, the actual grand final, I mean, he had his moments during the season, but but for me, it wasn't really a Casper individually wasn't really a threat. Like, I mean, if I look at Bryce Cotton, like he, he's a bad man. Like this, this is not a guy <laughs> you want to be playing against. Like he's an absolute assassin. Casper um, was was not was a bit of a shadow of his 2018 championship um, performance ways with uh, with Melbourne United, but um, last season. I just felt like it was the rest of the Sydney squad that got it done. I mean, Sean Bruce, he was chipping in uh, with some really quality minutes. Uh, I think it's seven or nine points a game. Like that's a big, as your backup guard, if you're delivering that, that was, you know, that's giving some of the other big, big names a rest as well. But like everyone else was chipping in and that's how they were winning games and getting the minor premiership last season. So, uh, I mean, head coach Will Weaver, I, I just think like we were so lucky that the league could have him for such a short period of, of time or, or the time that he was here. I mean, this is a you know former assistant boomers coach that was then the Sydney head coach, and everyone was like, "Well, who's this coach, Will Weaver?" Well, guess what? Now he's at the the uh, Houston Rockets as an assistant yeah. coach in the NBA. Like this guy was from the G League when he before he came out to Sydney. Like he'd done his he paid his dues as the uh, the boomers assistant for ages. There, like he wasn't he wasn't under the radar for a lot of the a lot of us that knew him, and a lot of the boomers players knew him personally. So I mean, for Sydney to have Will Weaver, I thought was really cool, uh, and then for I guess the grand final to play out. Uh, the way it did, they I thought Sydney put together a really a really solid year, and they should and one they should be proud of. Um, but obviously, yeah, I guess for for them then to have their hearts ripped out in the grand final on the note that it did, uh, I feel a bit I feel a bit bad from that. It wasn't able to really uh, all of us fans weren't able to fully appreciate the five game series in its entirety. So um, yeah, I mean it was, it was a it was a bit of a crazy year, wasn't it? To, just to finish up the way it did. I might take that opportunity to talk about the pipeline to the US. Obviously, the link between the NBL and the NBA just seem to get stronger and stronger every year. LaMelo Ball is having a almost shoe-in for Rookie of the Year over there for Charlotte. 
How do you feel things are going with that connection between the two legs? Well, I think it's certainly getting stronger and, and stronger. Um, you've seen that those players that have to take a year out after high school, either college or Europe or Australia now, um, they're, they're taking those opportunities because they're, their management team, like let's let's not make this any not make a mistake about it. Like it's not Lamelo Ball and his dad saying, his dad saying, "I want you to do this." It's it's his whole management team that's behind him. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, his agent uh, Jackson, I forget his first name, but the, 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 his manager or his agent was with him the whole time. You know, there's probably five or six, um, you know, management team directing the path of Lamelo Ball at the time. So they made a decision collectively. They're like. This is the league. The NBL is the league that you can actually, um, you know, you can get better in uh, and and dominate, and that'll actually give you a leg up for the draft. Like people are noticing the league now, so they took that they took that opportunity then, and I'm sure the NBL was pushing hard, say, hey, come down, come down. Well, you know, we'll we've got this next stars program. We'll pay you a thing. All the team has to do is pay pay for your you know your room and board. Like the team only had to pay 50k. It's the league that pays the rest of the dollars, whatever that is. So the league. Under Larry, uh, Kesselman has made the decision to go for these kinds of players, which is a, a big business move in itself and one to be congratulated. But, I mean, LaMelo Ball uh, and obviously Hampton at New Zealand last year as well, to a lesser degree, but still uh, still a big-time signing um, for, for the NBL to have these players come through and strengthen the league um, is just huge. I mean, and this year, conversely, um, the next stars are now Aussies that are touted for top 10 uh, pick in the NBA draft. So last year we, got, we go, man, we had these American young players come in. Isn't it pretty crazy that Americans at 18 years of age can now make it into the NBA? Well, guess what? This year it's the, it's the Aussie next stars, you know, the uh, Giddy, you know, for Adelaide. Like he's, oh, he's, he's tapped, like he's just unbelievable. Like, yeah. And he's taking over games. This is an 18-year-old Australian. That's the difference. Like This year, it's it's all the uh, the next stars that are Aussie and obviously Justinian Jessup already um, drafted uh, and playing the year down here. Um, he's been killing for the Hawks. Uh, and just, uh, yeah, just that, that's the calibre we got now. Um, if you if you don't take the next stars, though, if you look at more of the imports and everything, that's another interesting one because I mean Cam Oliver and Scotty Machado as a as a duo for the Taipans, like they they are uh, like specimens of of athletes for a start, right? Back back when I was playing, you wouldn't really find a Cam Oliver that could put a complete game package together. Maybe you'd have a sensational athlete, but then maybe he couldn't shoot, or maybe he could only do one thing, a little one trick pony kind of thing, something that was holding a guy back from making it further. But but you got athletes now imports that that are NBA fringe NBA players or a, a, an NBA player that's been injured like Cam Oliver was didn't quite make the cut for the NBA. So the next level down that he was prepared to go to was the NBL. Like they used to go to Euroleague, they yeah. used to go to you know all those big time European clubs. But now the money has come up a bit, um, and certainly the um, the location and you know speaking English and all those other factors, those lifestyle factors has as just been a bonus but um you know playing in australia is, is really attractive to a lot of these really high talented um uh, players now and you mentioned coach weaver as well heading across to houston another great example of that is jay sean tate who had mm. you know a, a brilliant season last season with the sydney kings and has been a, a real shining light on a houston rockets team that is kind of struggling at the moment but taking his opportunity everyone's raving yeah. about this guy who has amazing abilities has come from australia brings in this this crazy defensive mindset and yeah it's it's 
it, it's a great testament to the NBL as a, as a whole, I think. Well, the other thing about the NBL is that it's more physical than the NBA. The NBA is finesse and athleticism. Like you think about it, it's, it's a purest sort of uh, game where the athletes, like they, they really move really well. And for the most part, the physicality isn't isn't kind of the same as the NBL. The NBL has got a bunch of grown men that are trying to put food on the table that will just like throw an elbow or something and punch <laughs> you out, you know, like this. And, and I'm probably speaking from experience as well, but anything. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, hey, that, that ball belongs to Shooter. You know, like, oh, you know, that you're jumping on that ball uh, and you're, you're really, you know, you play with a level of physicality because the athleticism for the most part isn't like the NBA. Um, so, you know, we're, us, us players would um, obviously be as aggressive as we as we could play, and uh, physically we'd try and beat up these young punks that come in. Like heck, heck no, we're not you know we're not standing for that. So when when those US imports come in um, and they're athletically gifted, then they have to learn the physicality, uh, and they can match and exceed that, like Jay Sean Tate uh, would do. Like he he had a, a rain array of moves and a really nice touch, but he was also physically able to. to uh, get his shoulders past players, get get bumps, and still keep his feet. Um, you know, Lamelo Ball was a was like really light, so he would get bumped a bit, but he was he was pretty gifted athletically. He could rise above that. But Jason Tate had a bit more of that bully ball kind of game, where um, you know it really probably set him up mentally to really attack these guys. So in the in the NBA right now, you're seeing him um, not shy away from anyone, and he's taken his chance, and we, and we love watching him succeed because he he just come from uh, from the league that we love to watch. So. Um, yeah, it's it's really exciting to see the, these guys transition and do it so quickly. I think that's the other thing. They're not taking a few years, are they? They're, they're, they're making a mark straight away. Oh, Lamelo has been fantastic, hasn't he? And I'm a massive rep for Cam Oliver. I think he should be in the NBA already. I think he's better than, than guys like Tory Craig that are playing over there. I, I sing his praises at every opportunity I get. I think I think he's undersized, though. To be honest, like he's a he's an absolute specimen of a man. Like uh, and uses his athleticism. Um, you know, uh, when he what he lacks in height, he'll make up in athleticism. But he he's undersized as a power forward. Or I mean, he playing he plays a center in the NBA, which is a bit undersized. Because he's coming up against six eleven guys, Jock Landale, uh, most team. It's a Melbourne, tall you know, league, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so the Taipans really have to. Um, I, I think what they're missing is that height, that sort of real, a uh, true center position that can play the, the 30, 35 minutes. I mean, Nate Jaywa can hold down for sort of that 10 to 15 minutes kind of mark. But what they really need to protect Cam Oliver is to put Cam at the four and need to have um, really a, a big a big unit in there at the five that can really hold it down. But, I mean, Cam in the, in, in the NBA uh, might be giving up a bit of height at that four position, but he's certainly athletic enough um, to, to make up for that. Um, and coming off that injury before Taipans, uh, before his first season with the Taipans, that's kind of what held him just outside of selection for that NBA squad. So they weren't really to take the chance on him if he didn't recover well from that ankle uh, break or that uh, horrific injury that he had. So Taipans were the ones that took that chance and and brought him in and he certainly flourished. Um, so we're seeing uh, he would have gone back with um, uh, another sort of tryout base or at least been on the hunt for another NBA squad. And I'm sure there's always an NBA out clause when you re-sign with an NBL club that that would be the standard. Uh, and 
Cam Oliver did play in Israel in the offseason. He did so he was doing things and actively trying to pursue that NBA dream once again. Uh, but it must have fallen short to then sign with the Taipans um, and commit for two years. But I'm sure as a 24 year old, uh, he's he's well within his uh, sights to pursue that NBA dream again. And Machado, on the other hand, is a bit older, a bit you know, at the end of his sort of career in terms of really being able to push for that NBA thing uh, spot because those guards are a lot quicker uh, and a lot younger at this stage. So he might have a bit harder time, but I certainly think Cam is well within uh, grasp of an NBA deal at some point soon. I feel in the modern NBA, he probably would suit more than if it were the mid-90s, for example. I think I think with the way the NBA is heading, I, I feel like he's the sort of big that teams could actually quite use well. Yeah, look, I mean, he can he, he can pick and pop, he can pick and roll and throw it down. And, and you know, he's a, a menace around defensively. Just, just his timing's great. You know, it's just great to watch his timing. And then everyone wants a bit of that that attitude afterwards. That you go, like, man, I want that. I want Oliver on my team. Like, I don't want him on the. <laughs> I don't want. To, I don't want to be facing this guy. Uh, he's a he's a beast. So um, yeah, for sure. There, there's certainly um, you know in the NBA, everyone has a, a very specific role. In the NBL, I feel like you got to be good at everything. You've got to be able to sort of put the ball on the floor. You got to be able to guard, defend. You got to kind of shoot the three and stretch the floor. In the NBA, you only have to do one thing. Either sit in the corner, shut up and shoot threes as a shooter or be the ball handle and make, make things happen or be a big and pick and roll in the middle and roll and dunk that. Don't do anything else. Don't shoot your like little floater. Don't turn a face. Don't do anything else except your what you're specifically here to do. So I'm sure, you know, with Cam going um, or pursuing NBA stuff, um, there's probably a role for him to, to really be that finisher, be that set of hard screen, and then at the other end, um, you know, just be the defensive presence. Now, one of the other things, obviously, just just quickly going back to, I guess, another player that the that the Taipans are missing right now. One of the the issues with COVID is it obviously then shrunk the amount of money that was available to clubs and the amount of imports, which obviously meant that you had to make a choice. And Machado and Oliver. You know, it's not an easy one too, but obviously the, the odd man out was DJ Newble, who was a, a very important part of the, the Taipans roster. Um, just, you know, what are your thoughts on, I guess, the impact of losing him this season? Oh, well, DJ Newble um, was certainly, as a trio, Scotty Machado, Cam Oller and DJ Newble uh, is, was a perfect combination that really found their groove. Like They all worked really well together. And DJ Newble was the Taipans' leading scorer at 19 points a game, delivering that on, on average. Some of those games were big fourth quarters and he came up with 27 points, uh, you know, to, to finish a game. Like the, He had some huge sort of games where he, he made it happen. Um, Machado and Oliver were obviously the more, um, uh, they, they were the bigger time player, like Machado, undeniable, um, you know, as a, uh, you know, MVP candidate uh, for sure. So, I mean, yeah, naturally he, he was the top pick and, and Oliver um, would have fitted uh, as the second sort of import in, in this season. So, yeah, unfortunately, DJ Newball kind of lucked out. Um, but uh, if I take a quick step back, the decision to go from three imports down to two, uh, like six to nine months ago, was it March? It was, it was the last, it was the, at the end of the season. I felt this is the only part where the NBL and the Players Association took a stumbling step because they made a knee-jerk reaction to quickly cut down from three imports to two and, and cut down the, um, everyone's salaries from uh, by 20%. And if you're in the middle tier, you're down by 20%, whatever it is. And then the, mm. um, the, the higher-end guys were down by 30 or 40% or something like that. All this stuff happened as soon as COVID hit when it didn't need to. Mm. And they, they could just buy themselves time and make a decision later on. But th- that, was the, that was the frustrating thing for me and for the players especially. Now, 
they're really frustrated because they've been forced to take a, a percentage cut. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. Let's say it was 20% for guys earning between um, 80 and 120,000, right? So your middle tier kind of guys. Let's say they had to take a 20% cut and they had to agree with it back in uh, March or April because that's when that decision was made. And now the league is extending the games by eight games. So a lot of these guys were contracted up until April. This is the, this is the contract they signed. They were contracted up until April and now the league is extended through to June mm. and the teams are still paying them that, that 20% reduction. So they've, they're paying, the teams are paying less and the players have to play for longer and they're like, well, hang on, this isn't right. How come we weren't consulted on this part? Like, we can't just play more games and say, hey, great, NBL, we're playing more games, more stuff for the fans. Well, the players aren't getting paid in accordance with that extension of play. They're, they're having to play beyond their contract for the same amount. So they're really frustrated. And then at the at the end of uh, the the really high-end guys like the Bryce Cottons, they, they renegotiated. So their agents got onto that kind of loophole thing where you could actually cancel your contract and renegotiate a higher rate and not take that standard player reduction. You know, if it was 20% for the middle tier guys, it was 30 or 40% for the guys earning on higher amounts. Um, when, when they renegotiated with their agent and because remember Bryce Cotton said he's leaving the Wildcats and he said, Oh, we were all, <laughs> yeah, we were all devastated. That's after Nick yeah, Kay had yeah, already yeah, left, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was just a, 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 a piece of the play where he knew he was coming back. I reckon because within a few moments of time, he's back, he's re-signed, he's renegotiated. So he renegotiated a great deal, but no one else, not, not all the players in the league knew that you could renegotiate Brad. Right. Newly for Sydney Kings goes, gee, I wish I could renegotiate, like, you know, like some of the, the big name signings. Um, Bryce is just an example. There was a few of them. So the, these players, in, especially the, the non-stars, the non-like studs, they're, I mean, they're really frustrated. So you you use like that side of it. And then there's this COVID side of it with, with this lack of balance. They're starting to get fed up, you know, and you can probably understand why. If I, I digress there, but if I come back to DJ Newbel now, so so he's without a job because of a, what I think was a knee-jerk reaction too long ago. Mm. Um, they needed to wait and because they might not have needed to drop it down to uh, two imports. Um, but certainly for the type ends, a lot of the eggs were in the, the basket of having these three imports, you know, do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, and a lot of the teams that have have themselves like a, a, a boomers, Aussie or a, New Ze- a Kiwi, a tall black, um, those those bigger time uh, local players, Aussie or New Zealand local players that, that can carry the load as well. They're the ones that um, have been able to fare uh, OK throughout this COVID thing, but certainly for the Taipans, um, DJ Newville has left a huge hole um, offensively and defensively as, you know, defensive player of the year um, uh, would do. Like, so they're, they're trying to cover his efforts defensively. Um, and then offensively, I think they're really uh, got surprised a bit early about just how much they would miss him because uh, they, they dropped a couple of couple of games to you know Melbourne United in the preseason. They dropped by 20. Uh, the Hawks, both Hawks games, they've dropped by 20. They've needed a scoring punch, and Scotty Machado can't do it all off the dribble. So uh, he needs that second guy to palm the ball off to, to take some heat off him and, and let him have a, a bit of a breather. So uh, I guess they're, they're really struggling at both ends of the floor uh, by covering DJ Newbel's absence. And I'll, I'll give you a podcast a bit of a plug, mate. I noticed on the Pikey Allow show, Talking Taipans, you mentioned there's a lack of communication on D. And I'm a big rap for the Taipans. I actually picked them to make the grand final this year. I thought that 
kind of halfway through the semifinals last year, I thought whoever wins the Perth Can series is going to win the NBL grand final. I really felt like mm. the grand finalist was coming. And I love the Taipans. They're, they're pretty much my second team, actually. I, I really like all the role players. But in spite of playing nearly every game at home, they started two and six. Do you think they can turn it around? Look, it's it's uh, it's revealed itself as being um, a, obviously a bit of a hole, a, a big fire in the basement at the moment. Um, and the some of those games were, um, you know, only by a, a very small margin, one or two points. Two of them were blowouts to the Hawks. But what was what's kind of been revealed is that that secondary offensive threat, someone that could put the ball on the uh, on the floor and get to the rack and get to the free throw line, um, that's been the, the biggest problem. So they haven't had someone as capable as DJ or anybody sort of stepping up to be able to get to the get to the line. They've been shooting on average, I think like 10 more threes than any other team. And some of them aren't good shots. Like it's because of an inability to actually get to the rack. Um, so, you know, you're sort of looking towards, or, you know, the Taipan's certainly hopeful that, you know, Kuat Noi and Mojave King as a next star um, would be able to get, you know, have that athleticism, get to the rack with, with their length finish on the rim, uh, if not get fouled, get to the free throw line. So they're not getting that, that penetration. Therefore, they're not, making the refs make a uh, make a call um, and putting that question to the refs hey I'm you know I'm getting hit here like uh, uh, call the foul or they're not even putting that question to the refs because they're bailing out with these uh, quantity of three-point attempts so they're just you know they're, they're not taking them that that um, that moment to to have that balanced attack and then it all comes down to Scotty Machado to to do all the work and break through the, the second line of defense and then find Oliver on the alley-oop or find players. Um, so, you know, it's that skill of being able to get to the hoop and and draw those fouls and actually put some, some, put some of that pressure on the other team. Um, and I think it goes a long way. A lot of these other, other clubs are finding that balance and having multiple contributors uh, that can get in there. Um, and, you know, li- living and dying by the three-point line is not getting it done for the tie-band. So can they turn it around? Well, um, they, they're going to they're going to need to find something. I think Mojave Kings was promising in the preseason, but he hasn't shown um, the the uh, ability to really um, be at the same level as the as the Giddies of the world, as the uh, contribute like the Justinian Jessups of the world, those kind of players. So he hasn't delivered yet. There, there is high hopes. He's you know probably the most athletic guy on the team. Yeah, he's um, only getting ten capable? minutes a game, Mel. There's a lot of people that are surprised he's only playing a quarter of a game. He's playing only 10 minutes a game because he hasn't been able to deliver in his other opportunities. So he was a bit shy. Like, I'll take an example. Early on in the season, you know, he wasn't taking his opportunity. So you get the ball in trans up the sideline and it'd be one-on-one coverage. That that would be his moment where you've got to grab the ball by the horns and actually just attack. You know, you've got to attack. But he was pulling it out and finding the veteran and they were running a play. Um, so, you know, if you're on the floor, you're there to do a job and be aggressive. And if you're not, it's now turned into... 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes, you know, do I play him or not? Um, so it's kind of, it's come from um, how he's been playing is why his minutes have been reduced. So that preseason, he had, I remember he had uh, 16 or 18 points in this preseason game against um, uh, Melbourne United. I was, and I was singing his praises because I was calling the game. Um, and, you know, they had a few closed door games uh, where he was still aggressive. And then it's just, it's kind of just gone a bit downhill in terms of his aggressiveness. So, 
you know, as a young, you know, then you go, okay, he's only 18 years old. Well, all these other guys are 18 years old as well, the giddies uh, of the world, uh, like I, as, as I mentioned. But, um, you know, you've, you've got to be aggressive. If you're put on the floor, you're on the floor to do a job, and that's be aggressive and go do what you do. And his biggest strength is is his uh, height and handles advantage on his uh, two- or three-man opponents. So he's, he's pretty tall. He's pretty big. And he's got that athleticism and length uh, to get past someone and finish uh, with elevation. Like he's, he's a really good athlete. So he's on the floor to be aggressive and he just hasn't been aggressive enough for my liking. And obviously for coach Kelly's liking to warrant more minutes. If you're going out there and be a passenger, you, you're not going to get many minutes. You're going to get dragged. Um, so he's, it's a bit of tough love maybe, but, but he's got to, he's got to decide um, if he's for real and if he's um, going to be a, you know, a draft chance and he's got to flick that switch to be that aggressor. And I think, um, you know, the Taipans really need it. They, they really desperately need someone that can do that. Now, that's a lot for an 18-year-old. Uh, Noi um, has been a bit shaky off the dribble, so he hasn't been confident in that regard as well. Um, so you talk about capable players able to, to get on the rack. I love Noy, but he's so inconsistent, isn't he? There's been some inconsistencies, and he's certainly, um, you know, had some really bright moments, and still got a bright future. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, we're looking at that DJ Newball hole that's trying to be filled, right? So Mojave King, Quite Noy, they're the two guys that I would say um, should be the ones that have filled that, and that unfortunately they haven't been able to deliver in that in that space. Perhaps high risk to put two really young, inexperienced sort of players with that kind of responsibility. But you look down the line. I mean, Jared Kenny's a backup point guard. He's really solid, but he's not—he's not that guy that's going to, you know, have that length and athleticism to finish over guys uh, and, and get to the rack. Like he's going to be really solid in other ways. Um, Jarek's a shooter, so let's not turn him into a, you know, a guy that goes away from his strengths. Jarek is a shooter. Kuat Noi and Mojave King are not shooters. They—they they can hit the three, but they should be. They should be guys that give you all those um, uh, extra hustle players, all those uh, attack on the, you know, with their with their length, with their athleticism. Uh, they need to use that as their strength. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you look down the line, and and surprisingly, the the win the other day against New Zealand, it was George Blagojevic, a, a, a long athletic, yeah. a, a long athletic two man. He he caused all sorts of disruption. So he's going to get his chance now. We, we've got to talk quickly about uh, about Rob Lowe and and the decision that he's made to head back to to New Zealand to be with his family? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, this is a former teammate of mine and I know him very well in my last year of playing. Uh, and we, we were good mates. Uh, you know, it's like uh, brothers, siblings, and, and we'd fight all the time and just go at each other, you know, just uh, <laughs> as you do as siblings. But um, I just caught up with him when they played the, the Taipans here and, and I found out he actually had, he had a kid as well. And then six days later, he had to leave to come to Australia to well, play, yeah. uh, you know, play in the NBL. So I was like, mate, I didn't even know. He's not on socials. He's not that kind of guy. But, um, you know, leaving your wife and, and newborn, um, you know, would, would certainly uh, leave your heart sort of longing to, to see them again soon. But, I mean, the, these players uh, going through this league, it's, it's really tough. Like, you, you play the game, you, you put, all, put it all out on the floor with that adrenaline-fueled two hours of play. Um, but then you want your balance of – you want your life balance and you, your downtime is huge. In, when you play such a high-level sport, your balance to that and, and hanging out and go grabbing a coffee anywhere you want, um, going on a, a, a trip somewhere or doing something like just – 
just even a, a couple of hours away from the city or doing anything that has a bit of balance to it is going to recharge you enough to fight the next battle. Um, but these players don't get that chance to have that balance. Like they're not, they're, they're in quarantine three days before the game. This is at the start of the season. Three days before the game, it was like a soft quarantine. 48 hours or 24 hours before the game was like a hard quarantine. Like you won't be allowed to sort of leave your apartment except go to the shoot around. So everything's restricted. All that, all those things that make you know the the high pressure situations all those things that diffuse that is now taken away in this covid season so i i felt like it was going to be really tough on a few a few players especially but to hear sort of rob go back for personal reasons and i don't know what the reasons are but you know the, the fact that he's away for the rest of the season is what they're they're reporting um it just means that you know that that toll is it must, it must be sitting right there on a lot of players and he's he's either had enough to you know make that call and i hope nothing uh, adverse has sort of happened to to make him go that way but uh, Indeed, if it's yeah. if it's just the if it's just the the situation where he's decided I, I, I really got to get out of here and be with my family and that kind of thing, then I really feel for for him. And I feel for the players that are that are feeling a bit stuck in there because there is no balance. Absolutely. Our hearts go out to the low family and, and hope everything's good there. And obviously there are teams like New Zealand that may not play a home game the entire season. And you've given us a great segue again. So I've heard a lot of ex-players talk about how they would have approached COVID with their family and stuff. Have you had a chat with your lovely wife, Michelle, if you were still playing what you would have done in this situation? <laughs> well, as we spoke just before we press record, my wife is a relationship counsellor. So I don't get a whole lot of I don't get a whole lot of say uh, unless I say yes, dear. That's correct, dear. Uh, I totally agree with what you're saying there because if I come back with anything, then she could come back with reports and and statistical evidence that shows that that wouldn't be a good decision to make. So I think uh, if I ever come back to my family and say, uh, look, uh, look, COVID's happening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be away for a few months. Uh, what do you guys think about that? She's like, well, I don't think you should come home. Like, I say, okay, well, <laughs> I, I understand your point of view. Like, so, no, uh, I, I do, Jess, but it, it would certainly be a really tough uh, situation on the family. Not not uh, a matter of life and death, like our, um, our forefathers going to war and not knowing if they're coming back at all. Yeah. Let's put that into perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, in, a, in a, a secondary sort of level below that, I'd say people doing FIFO would have it really tough because two weeks on and let's say two weeks off, well, that two weeks on, that's a long time away from your family. So I guess one of the things that's often talked about in basketball is the way that a road trip can galvanize a team. Now, obviously, the NBL Cups are a slightly extreme version of a road trip with teams playing away for a lot longer than usual but uh, I, I guess we wanted to know what your thoughts were on the overall cup and and I guess what you think of the of the innovation look I think uh, the NBL cup um, classic sort of uh, uh, probably a take on that that Europe sort of style where you have during a season a, a mid-season cup or a, a, a secondary competition running at the same time so I think it takes a leaf out of that euro sort of book um, so I, I think it's a I think it's a positive thing. I, I think the league's really trying to do everything they can um, to, uh, to innovate and to to make this make the most out of a COVID situation. So, uh, I, you know, they've lost a lot of money uh, with with everything that's going on, and so they're they're like I said. I tip my hat to them that it's a tough position for the league to make all the right choices. This one is a Victorian government obviously footing the bill, which helps cover a lot of the costs of, you know, to run a, run a season. So they would be paying a premium for to host the whole league in Melbourne. And then, of course, for COVID safety, uh, they're in there. Galvanise a team, absolutely. The, this will make or break 
all the teams really yeah, type exactly. Panther, no exception they've got to they've got to find that common uh common ground and, and something they've got to hang their hat on i don't think they're going to outscore teams in the 90s and say like like they did the previous year under dj newbel dj newbel's influence i think this year they're gonna to have to win games in the 80s and do it defensively um so that they've got to find what their uh, what their ethos is this year and what are they going to hang their hat on well it's probably going to be the defense the collective defensive effort because it doesn't take as as much skill it just takes heart and desire to do and um if they're going to go the other way and be offensive uh, in winning their games just by purely outscoring the teams in, in the high 90s, then I don't think they have that capability as we just spoke about um, without filling DJ Newville's absence. So they're going to have to find their identity uh, within these eight games in the NBL Cup. I think the Cup as, a, as itself um, is exciting type of thing. It's a, you know, the, there's a point per quarter that's won. Um, you get three uh, points for the win. So is that right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the point per quarter is the kind of bugbear for us. I think I think it's a good innovation. I think it's very pragmatic. And I think these are the sort of kind of flexible things that leagues need to do in order to get a season done. But we, we have a bit of a concern about the points per quarter thing that teams might be leaving guys out there that could get injured when really they should just try to be getting wins, you know? I don't. I actually don't think the teams will really care about the points per quarter to the to the extent because I mean, each win is for championship points, right? And there's a there's an underlying story under that that thing as well. Um, but points per quarter, I I just think it's it's probably best as a somebody to have a, you know in their in their bet three sixty handbook or whatever you know. Like, <laughs> it's more of a gambling thing. It's more of a gambling thing for the punters than than for the players to go. Oh, we just won that quarter. High fives, you know. Like yeah. they really don't care about the, the points per quarter, but it's, it is just a way of keeping score and having that. They they run the preseasons like that in previous years. Um, you know, to determine a winner. Um, so it just made it a little bit different than the regular season. So, so it's it's sort of like a mini preseason style tournament that was normally run, uh, which they've done before. So, I mean, yeah, but I don't think for the teams, I don't think they will leave a player out there um, for just to win the quarter. I do. I think they're they're probably a bit above. Um, the scoring of these these types of uh, scenarios. So, um, look, I think that they'll have their have their win and have their cup. They'll hook the trophy up, and then it'll be game on for the rest of the season, whatever that looks like. Um, but interestingly, before the talk was, you know, before the season started, that there might be this cup and there'll be, um, you know, the points won't actually count for the championship points. So, the regular season, every game played in the cup wasn't going to count for the the full. Um, for championship points for the regular season, everyone was like, "What do you mean the games don't matter?" You know, like for the for the real season, for the actual ladder. And then that that was thrown back and forth. And then eventually they settled on, okay, well each game will count towards the actual season. And so the the players, everyone's sort of been like, you know, what's this? What's going on? So uh, it, it has been a bit frustrating for the players and the teams as the details keep changing. <laughs> but uh, I think, um, you know, the NBL is certainly trying to uh, build this thing up. And uh, I think we should all be sort of supportive, I guess, of of where, the direction that they're, they're trying to go in. And, and hopefully it bodes well for the NBL. I don't think you sort of, as a spectator, you're not going to go to every single game every single day, are you? Like, I think it's probably going to wear thin pretty quick and crowds aren't going to be huge, I don't think. I know that the tickets are $10 each and you get a steady flow through. Yeah, you get a but double. But yeah, the double headers, double headers on each one. So they'll do their best to really pump, you know, pump it up for people to attend. I think um, obviously they just got the go-ahead, right, for, for today's games, just to have fans in there as opposed to, you know, Australian Open and no fans at all. 
but um, you know they're, they're just making the most out of a situation, a, t- a tricky situation. But I think I think the the cup will be great for the teams to you know hopefully get in a groove. Uh, but like I said, it will make or break these every single squad. So Al, a question we we want to ask all our guests when we when we get them is is the best performances they've ever seen. So be that as and maybe you can give us one of each if you like, and it doesn't have to be basketball either. Um, the best performance you've seen either as a player, so it could be a teammate or the opposition, um, and also as a spectator, you know, and as I say, it could be watching the Eagles. I know you're a big Eagles fan, for example. There's a funny uh, uh, AFL sort of story, and it was the, the grand final that the West Coast Eagles won, uh, the, the last grand final that they won, and uh, my, whole, my whole family was like, we're going to go to the Melbourne, we're going to watch the grand final, and we're going to see the Eagles win. And so they, they all geared up and they all went over there. And I, you know, I was still playing at the time. And I couldn't go because of bloody basketball. And they just had the best time. Like Eagles absolutely like got it done. And the last passage game. of play, oh, the last passage of play for the the Eagles, there was like three massive marks going down this, the side corridor. Then they hit the goal. Um, Actually, you know, yeah. to, to really, yeah, exactly. To, to, just, just to ice it. And then my whole family's going off and, I, we we had the afternoon off because we had training in the morning, but we we're all watching it at um, one of the coaches' places, and I'm watching the, the you know my my family WhatsApp group text thing, and they're all going off. Oh man, this is the best thing. <laughs> I'm just going like, bloody hell! Like, what, oh, why couldn't I get out of this? You know, like so. It was just a, a, that's probably the biggest disappointment is not being able to be with the family watching the Eagles win a grand final in Melbourne. I was like, ugh. So I was like, that's it. I'm retiring. I'm out of here. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, but look, basketball-wise, like in, in 2010, um, Taipans, we, we made it to the grand final and, and went down to the New Zealand Breakers. Uh, we had an awesome season. We were proud of it and all that. But Cedric Jackson, the way he, um, the way he played and was driving his side, he was just really impressive to watch. Like he, his assists uh, and finding guys, he made the difference for them. He couldn't shoot a lick of, uh, from beyond the arc. Like, but but he was just changing everything on the court. Like, and just you could see him really control uh, everything. And uh, I, I really thought, like, he was. I'm like, man, that's an import I want to play with. And then, like, only probably four or five years later, he was like uh, at a yard sale, uh, the Hawks yard sale, because they didn't wow. want him anymore. What he yeah. played for Illawarra, yeah. you know. So like, players hit their prime and sometimes fade out pretty quick. But but in his prime, I would say Cedric Jackson was was pretty unstoppable uh, as a player. Um, a few years later, we were in the grand final again and uh, under Scotty Wilberkin, we had an import who was out of Florida Gators, um, US college um, team. And, and I think, did he win it? I think he might have. It was either top four or they won it. The Florida Gators win it in 2014 or 13. I can't can't remember exactly, but he was just this crazy athlete, athletic guard. Um, one of the to, final Billy Donovan years, maybe before he went. Yeah, to yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was because yeah, Donovan was his coach, and um, so he came out and he had this. So when if a player has a rap sheet, it's a list of all their indiscretions, right? And that the NBA clubs don't want to sign him because of this rap sheet. His Scotty Wilbekin's rap sheet was as long as his arm. All these indiscretions <laughs> that happened at college. But the Dive fans were ready to take a risk and pay the, the, the lower rate because, um, you know, no one else wanted him, basically. So he comes out to the Dive fans and um, he's just the unbel- he, he's This is the quickest player I've ever seen move up and down the floor as well as laterally, right? 
if you think about a salsa dancer with their hips, like he would get over a screen without breaking his line of movement. Like he just like shimmy around a, a, a big man trying to set a screen with just ease because he just kind of moved like really well. So he was, he was strong. He was light and he was unstoppable um, in the preseason. I just remember he crossed over Damien Martin and just potted one, uh, just off the off the elbow there, and Damien Martin sort of eyebrows go up, and this is you know five time defensive player of the year uh, to be, and he was just like like I could see he was surprised, and like as soon as uh, as soon as Scotty Wilbekin did this move on Damien Martin, just discarded him with ease. I looked at Cameron Trigard next to me, and I was like, ooh, we got we got we got a live one here, <laughs> we got a live one, and then. Um, the season rolls out and, you know, we go minor premiers and then, you know, we, we drop, we drop a, you know, uh, my biggest regret is obviously losing uh, from a winning position and, and number one seed, we, we lost the grand final to New Zealand breakers again under a different regime over there. But for, for me, Scotty Wilberkin just put together such a first class of uh, season um, and fittingly, you know, straight after the season, he's, he's on the, uh, the gravy train uh, to, you know, European sort of clubs and all that stuff. You know, he's on 1.5 to $2 million a year now uh, as a local in um in he played in uh turkey and married a local girl over there but um so he's a he's a local sort of european sort of naturalized uh, player over there but just his skill level like he's in the euro league uh, he's won some big championships over there in the euro league and i just it's always fun watching him uh, play and continue his uh, his career over there, but the start at the Taipans under uh, in interesting circumstances coming out of college and being such a fresh faced uh, rookie, um, you know, with his whole career ahead of him, uh, he really he, he could do no wrong in terms of on court stuff. Off the court, we gave him a bit of rope because uh, he wasn't at a few of the team sessions. <laughs> but he was winning, he was helping us win games, so you kind of go, oh, this is you know, he was just Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and he, and he even dyed his hair numerous times. But you know th- those players that are just gifted straight away. You go, you look at him, you're like, man, he can play, or man, he he's he's not going to be around in this league for very long. He's be destined for the NBA and all that kind of stuff uh, or upper level Europe. But you know th- those two guys, I guess, yeah, they, they really stand out and, and leave an impression. For the record, the uh, the Gators actually lost to UConn in the semifinals. Um, so in- top, yeah, is, is the, yeah, they're in the top four, the final, final four. four yeah. Yeah, final four, yeah. I actually uh, noticed that a couple of players that, that were on that Florida team as well. Casey Prather ah. was, was on there, obviously former Wildcat yeah. and Melbourne United yeah. player. And uh, yeah. Dallas Mavericks' Dorian Finney-Smith was also on ah, that side. So, yeah, um, they're a great the team. Story, they make that upper-level college. It, it translates over, doesn't it? really does it really does and obviously yeah, yeah an, an amazing team florida have been for god 20 years Decades, now yeah, yeah yeah now the other thing I, I suppose we wanted to just quickly ask before we wrap things up for today tell us what you're up to right now obviously you you know you you're a perth boy through and through but you've been living in cairns now for god how many years now what, what are you up to came over here oh nine oh ten season so yeah what's that 12 years yeah we're getting what up towards it? towards 12 now yeah well, now, um, so yeah, played yeah played for nine years. Yeah, going into my sort of second year post career. Um, so yeah, look, I, I have a big uh, um, uh, passion for videography and photography and all that kind of um, stuff. And I would you know I would edit the videos as well. And so it's a bit of a bit of a production kind of house as well. So uh, sort of film and edit content pieces and things like that. And that led me to a, a bit of a, a marketing kind of career. I did do a marketing degree at college. So graduated with the the degree. Uh, in business administration with a marketing minor from old academic all American Al. Yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we always oh, knew you were a smarty pants. You've, 
You beat me to it? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've been able to use that. Um, so I, I work at the at a craft brewery in Cairns called Hemingway's Brewery. Um, so I'm the, the marketing lead there for that and, and just pump out a whole bunch of content as well as do all the digital back end for marketing with that. Um, but as a hospitality and tourism uh, operation, really, uh, it's uh, obviously really been struggling in cans has probably been well documented uh but you know we're still doing still doing what we can and um uh haven't we would you know all uh, stood down from our roles back in COVID in march last year and uh, six months later kind of back to full time but it hasn't been an easy trot uh, in that side of things. Um, but yeah, also um, do my own videography business on the side called Power Forward Media. Love the pun. The, we love a pun. Keep the ties. Keep the ties. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I did start in that is uh, as soon as I finished basketball, but but landed um, that marketing role for the brewery because I thought, oh, that'd be a good way to learn. Uh, so yeah, just just kind of trying to find my lily pads to, to jump uh, to and and um, work my way up the corporate side of things and I obviously understand I'm a, a, a fresh out of the box newbie uh, in the corporate landscape so yeah I'm, I don't know anything basically um, so oh, what I do modest. know what I do know from basketball and, and athletes can take with them of course is you know that hard work ethic and and that team skill and I, I refuse to believe that it's not worth sort of anything it certainly has come into play um you know being being a part of a part of a team environment and all sort of buying in and having that common goal and it's kind of rare that you go into the business world and, and a lot of these places aren't set up that, that like that the individuals aren't wired that way and it can be frustrating because you think oh we're all we're all supposed to be in tune here like like we were on the on the court um <laughs> so uh, it, it is a it is a good skill to to come out of um, professional sport and try and translate that into the workforce so i'm just i'm building in that building phase at the moment well alex you've been so generous with your time thank you so much for speaking to us today we've absolutely loved every minute of it all the best to you and your family and i guess the taipans too going forward as long as it's not against the wildcats um, uh, absolutely. Now, thanks for having me, guys. It's been awesome to catch up. And uh, hey, hey, happy to chat. To love to chew the. Oh, fans. we'd love that too. Yeah, that'd Fantastic. be that'd be great. We'd love to chat to you about all things Old Dominion, the Summer League, all oh, of that sort so of much. stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, that'd be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Thank you. There's so much to cover. NBA Jam from uh, back in the day. We've got to cover yes. the video for that. So you know, we'll, we'll make a list of priorities and we'll tackle them one by one. But hey, great to be on your show. That's thanks, great. Alex. Thanks best, again, mate. Appreciate it. Right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you at for? Well, I'm definitely out for the next instalment of our chat with Alex Loughton. How good was that? Oh, that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But it's definitely NBL Cup time for me. I've got to get stuck into that. In the NBA, Toronto at Miami tomorrow. You've got two sides clambering their way up the Eastern Conference right now after poor starts and Clippers at Milwaukee on Monday. How about yourself, Nate? Well, we're hoping to get to the AFLW game this weekend that we didn't get to the other time when those lockdowns happened. So, yeah, looking forward to see the Dock as the winning streak continues. So, we get down to Freo Oval this weekend. Hope you don't jinx it a second time. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>